Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing, we just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. Welcome everybody to Morning Walk with the Artist Forge. My name is Nicole. I am your host and today we are talking about business and very specifically business plans. We're going to be talking about what a business plan is, why we should have one, and tying that into the conversations that we have had previously in this Mastering the Business of Art program that we've been going through. So business plans, y'all, before we get into what they are and why we should have one, do you guys have a business plan? Anybody? Anybody? Yes, he says with <laughs> apprehension. Um, yeah, so, you know, I came from a world of business plans where you couldn't do anything without one. And I started one when I started my first business. I wrote out this big, like, 30-page business plan of what I wanted to do. Never looked at it again. Never used it for anything. Um, tried to do the same thing for Stone Tree and realized that... Um, it's great in the world of startups, especially if you want to go and get yourself purchased at some point down the line. Um, but day to day, I, I'd love to say I use one and I have a very specific one, um, but it's really a loose collection of half form thoughts that guide me in the right direction. That's my business plan. Probably not what I should be saying in public, but that's kind of how it's about. <laughs> No, I'm actually really glad you said it because that's definitely something that we're going to cover. So uh, I'm I'm glad you said it. In fact, Kat, Becca, do either of you guys? So I definitely have a super meticulous thought out business plan that I started the business with that my business doesn't resemble even in the least um, in this day and age because as of March, it will have been 10 years. Um, however, what I do is I sort of map out my word cloud of avenues of revenue. Um, and then I, especially at the beginning of the year, well, usually at the end of the year for the next year, uh, and then map out like what those intentions are and the different avenues in which those intentions can be achieved. Uh, and then I just sort of ride that wave throughout the year. And it's usually kind of just done on habit by like May, uh, instead of using it as a reference document. And then uh, I don't look at it again. <laughs> yep. That sounds about right. Uh, Becca, what about you? Glad to know I am not alone in this boat of I started with one once upon a time when I had a little baby business and now I'm kind of coasting. Um, yeah. No written plan for me at this point, though, again, I, I think Matt hit a good point that they're really, really great for startups. And that was kind of how I went into my business originally. Once upon a time was like, I'm going to do everything correctly. And this is what I learned in college. This is how you're supposed to do it. And uh, it was educational for me, but I definitely don't think in that same way and don't act in that same way now. 
yeah, very, very similar. Um, I wrote my business plan for everything getting started. And then once everything started to move along, um, I, I haven't really looked at it in a while. So that's actually, um, it makes me happy that we've talked about this and started with that because it's going to remove a lot of the, uh, it's going to remove a lot of the questions I think for folks. Business plans are a fantastic thing. And there are a couple different kinds you can have and a few different reasons you can have them. And so I'm glad, Matt, you already mentioned two of the things that I wanted to make sure we brought up, which is they're great for getting started and for startups, right? And also they're great when you know if the long-term plan of your business is eventually to be acquired um, and if you want an exit strategy. So those things are really important. Also, if you're going to be looking for funding, a business plan, um, there's specific types of business plans you can use for funding. And I would suggest going to the Small Business Association website to check those out. But you want to have all of those things laid out because your potential investors are going to want to see all the details. And we'll talk about that as well. But as far as I'm concerned, because you can do a, a very traditional, it's about 30 pages, 15 to 30 pages business plan um, with projections and all that good stuff. Or you can do a lean startup business plan, which is about only a page long. Um, you can do either of those things depending on what you want. But as far as I'm concerned, the main goal for most of us as artists with our business plan is to get clarity, right? It's just really a chance for us to write down all of the things that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks and get clarity on what our intentions are, get clarity on what the structure of our business is going to look like, make sure that we just have that clarity so we can move forward with a sense of purpose. But as Kat has mentioned before, your business is a living entity and your business plan really should be a living document. It should be something that changes and grows as your business changes and grows as your intentions change um, and as your goals change. So you don't have to write a business plan and refer to it at least once a week or once a quarter or once a whenever and make to make sure that you're staying on track. But you can. This absolutely can be a fantastic roadmap that you can use to guide you and your decisions forward. It helps you get clarity on what you want to do with your business and all the individual aspects. But it does not have to be a dictionary, right? It doesn't have to be something that you're constantly sticking your nose in in order to be functional. It can just be the place that you get started so that you are not bumbling forward. And when I very first started my business, I didn't have a business plan at all. Um, I just, people wanted to pay me and I wanted their money. And so I figured I'd probably better be a legal business entity um, so that I could separate everything for taxes and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I didn't have a business plan at all. I literally just fumbled around trying to do things. And I think that if I would have at least sat down and gone through the process, it would have really helped me get a lot of clarity about what I wanted because you're forced to ask yourself the questions that give you clarity about your business. And those are a lot of the questions we've already been asking ourselves over the last couple of weeks. That's part of the point of those conversations is so when we get to the business plan portion, we can look back at the answers we've given and just really clarify everything. So I want to ask uh, the mods this morning, 
you don't really use your business plan as such so much now, but when you wrote it at the start of your business, did it give you the clarity? Did it force you to look at your business as a whole in the long term and what your, you know, what your, uh, your strategies and everything were going to be? And do you I know I do. Um, like you said, you chose the word that I was going to use as well, which was setting your intention, right? And that was the big part for me is I'd learned a lot of failures from my first business. So I wanted to streamline that and look at Stone Tree as an evolution, but a more formalized evolution of it and a refined evolution of it. So yeah, I, I loved setting that intention, setting that clarity. And then when I discovered StoryBrand, um, you know, and we've talked about that before. I really went through that process. That for me clarified what my message was going to be, what my philosophies were going to be like. And then I could start really working that into how do I want this business to operate based on those principles? And so as I began writing this business plan, which really wound up more like what Kat was talking about, which is a structure that I'm then going to base the next year or two years on. Um, you know, it really allowed me to fine tune those points so that as I go about my work every day, no, I'm not referring to the plan, but I have a great, clear vision of what I'm trying to do and does my daily work align with that? And if it doesn't, I need to get back in the plan because I wrote the plan for a reason. So it's, you know, it's a set of guiding principles for me. It's a, it's a way to go about things. It's a way to solve problems. And that's the way that I look at it rather than Excel spreadsheets and charts and projections uh, at this point. Those have their, those have their place in your business. Um, but for me, it all starts with that intention and that clarity. And from that, you can really go in any direction you want. I think the thing about business plans specifically is it's really a blueprint to train your brain how to think so that you can act with those intentions in mind. Um, because if you're not clear on what your goals are, then, you know, you're not, you, you won't get to there. Like that's not even an option if you're not clear on what it is that you want uh, and the methods in which you would like to enroll to move forward for those things. Um, however, I love a good spreadsheet. God, they make me happy. Um, because that data brings more clarity and then being able to compare and contrast what actually occurred versus what I projected would, um, allows me to refine that mindset and that thought process more succinctly. Um, and that's, that's really the value of the business plan, right? My former business, we strayed so far from the business plan that it couldn't be saved on the capital that we had remaining. Um, and it was because we had adapted so many times through and through. And we ran into a lot of challenges and a lot of it in permitting set us back like a, gajil a gajillion months. Um, so we had to do something. So, I mean, I don't fault us for that, but because we had gotten so far away from the business plan and what our goals were initially, there wasn't any coming back to it. Uh, 
And that's why I like returning to the business plan, especially throughout the beginning of the year, because those goals and those intentions change as your business evolves, as you evolve in your business uh, and being able to recenter and stay in alignment with what those goals and dreams are or change your fucking mind. Right. What happens when you get to April and you're like, man, I was thinking too small. I reached my goals for quarter two at the end of quarter one. Kick ass. Now what? Right. Like, okay, think bigger. But without having a business plan in place, like, and I'm a big fan of jump off the cliff and spread your wings on the way down. But having a business plan in place makes those wings a lot bigger. Boof. That was fantastic. Um, Becca, how about you? When writing your business plan, did you find that the, the process gave you any clarity? Do you look at that now as something that actually helped you get off your feet with starting your business? Or did you find no value in it at all? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. Um, I, so, I mean, I, I kind of stumbled into people randomly giving me money first for art because that tends to happen. And then after a couple years, mind you, I was, I was young guys. I was really young. And my youth, younger youth was like a hot mess. Oh my God. Um, so having that kind of sense of structure for myself, it, it again was a very educational process for me. Um, like having to learn to take myself seriously and get other people to take me seriously and have all those ducks laid out in a row. And so even if I don't have that kind of same written process now, all those points of interest of, you know, what are these things that are important to my business? What are those goals? It's still this foundation in the back of my brain that I refer back to constantly. Uh, so I don't currently think of it as still, you know, a functioning business plan because it has changed so much from my little baby startup art business, but it totally is. I mean, it, it, that understanding is there for me and uh, it's, it's still there as that foundation. You know, you said something I think is really important, and I, I want to double down on that a little bit, that it helped you take yourself seriously. I mean, of course, you said it helped other people take you seriously, but I find unless we're looking for funding and things, that's a little bit less important than like, it helps us take ourselves seriously. And it can be really easy for many of us, and particularly in the arts community, because people have this um, people have this tendency to be like, oh, that's nice that you have your little hobby that brings you some money, right? Like they don't really take the business of art very seriously. And so it transfers to you a little bit in, in your mind when you think, okay, I'm going to I'm going to start this art business, but you're like art business, right? It's not, it's not like the same as a real business. And so um, taking what steps you can to really take this venture seriously can make a big difference in your mindset. Yeah, totally. And the, the oh my God, you, you nailed verbatim a statement I got. Um, again, I was a hot mess. I got engaged to the ripe old age of 17 years old and i was told um you know as a wife it was good that i would have a hobby while meeting some of my new in-laws and very excitedly showing them my photography portfolio and i was so enraged and that was actually that same time period where i was like i need to be a functioning business now because i don't want to have a hobby i want to have a career um, so nailed that one, Nicole, but yeah, taking yourself seriously is so important. And that's actually something I've told a lot of people when they're struggling, uh, with kind of working in the arts is like, treat yourself like a professional 
And people are going to then see that and in turn treat you like a professional. You have to start there with yourself. Can I just My say that I love, is... hearing, I, I just love hearing Becca's supervillain origin story. Like, I just love this. <laughs> it could have gotten bad. I could be wearing a, you know, spandex suit right now and patrolling the night or something. I expect pictures of that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, can we commission that? I mean, if you ask nicely, yeah, we can talk. <laughs> Word. Oh, I was just going to say earlier, um, it, it, my favorite is when I run into people that maybe I knew from like bartending life or, you know, previous iteration of cat and they're like, oh, photography. So is that all you do? Like, as opposed to like, oh, is it like a side hustle? No, it's, it's all I do. Uh, and they're like, really? Wow. Huh. Thanks. Yeah, yo. It's the business. Yeah, it's, well, I'll it's just, wild. I'll, I'll, oh, I'm sorry, Nicole. I was going to say I'll commiserate with that, Kat. And 10 years in to supporting myself solely with photography, and my parents are still asking me, so is this like a real business? Like, is this what you do? So it never ends, no matter how. Yeah, yep. And so, I mean, for those of us in the art community, like we know this feeling, right? We know this feeling of not being taken seriously. And, and particularly when we grow up in those environments, that mindset kind of bleeds into you a little bit. And so being able to sit down and write this business plan and have clarity on what you want to do moving forward and how you're going to reach the goals that you have for yourself. It just allows you to take yourself seriously. You are moving forward with purpose, with a plan, you know, you know how you want to get things done and what value your business is going to add to the community and all of those kinds of things. So I know we've used the metaphor of, you know, a road trip several times, but it really is like plotting out a road trip. I know I want to go to New York. There are a lot of different ways that I could potentially get there, but I have a certain amount of money to start off with. I need to make myself a plan to get there in a way that's going to, you know, work for the budget that I have, but I also want to see some things along the way. So I'm going to plot my course. Now, I may run into roadblocks. I may run into detours. I may d discover that somewhere along the way that didn't work out quite the way that I hoped, but it got me started and it's going to help when I encounter those roadblocks to look back at my map and go, okay, I can get back on track. If I just go around this way, I can still get where I'm going. So it really does become a reference point that you can use. So before we get into the actual specifics, the benefits of a business plan are that it helps you take yourself seriously. And that's a big one because anything we can do to really bolster our mindset before we head into a serious um, undertaking is going to be a bonus for us. It helps you get clarity on what you're doing, how you're going to do it, why you're going to do it. It gives you a bit of a roadmap that you can refer to on your way. Like Kat was saying, if you set goals for yourself and you smash those goals in the first four months, well, man, that really teaches you something about how to plan for the future and what you can expect from yourself. And you can then make additional goals based on seeing the fact that I did the research and here are, and here's how things compare. Like you have hard data now that you can look at, which is pretty outstanding. So there's a lot of really good reasons to have a business plan. Does that mean that it must become the Bible? It depends on you. 
right? It depends on you. If you are the kind of person who needs that structure and you need to be able to refer back to that so that you do stay on track and you don't kind of morph your business so many times, you don't even know what it is anymore. Then yeah, if you are a person who loves numbers and statistics and you want to be able to look back at your projections and compare them to where you are now, and that's really important to you, then yeah, this business plan is really going to be a Bible for you going forward. If you're the kind of person who can make a lot of those adjustments on the fly and you just really, it's important for you to stay true to the heart of your business, but you're not necessarily tied to you know, specific tactics moving forward, then it may just become more like a reference guide that you look back at and change as you see fit. But in either case, those benefits of building that business plan still exist. So the question then becomes, how do you build your business plan? And the first question you have to ask yourself is, are you building a business plan in order to get funding for your business? You're going to talk to investors and see if they want to invest in your business. Um, or are you building this for yourself as a kind of way to get clarity and as a reference guide for the future? So you have a couple of options there. If you want to go after financing, you need a really solid business plan with projections and market research and all of that good stuff. Go to the Small Business Administration website. Um, they've got examples there that you can look at. You need those things because if somebody's going to give you their money, they want to see that you are serious, that you understand the purpose of your business, how it is going to compete against other people in your market, um, what your projections are for income, because they want to have a good investment. So you need to really do that work. Um, but even if you don't intend to look for investors, but you just know that you need to understand this business all the way down to its nuts and bolts, you may still want to do a standard business plan. It's going to be 15 to 30 pages long. It's going to be a bit of work, but that work is is showing up on the front end, right? So instead of, these are these are the options we have. We do what we can on the front end. So we invest some time and effort into this business plan so we can think our way through the structure of our business like we've been doing over the past couple of weeks um, so that when we start to encounter those things, when we build our processes, when we come up against questions of how does this thing or this decision reinforce the philosophy of my business, we don't go, I have no idea what to do. Let me make something up real quick and see if it works. Um, you either do the work on the front end or you do the work in, in medias race, right? Like in the process. So one or the other is what you're going to do. I prefer to do as much as I can on the front end. So I'm at least prepared when things come my way. So that's kind of what the business plan is. And no matter which business plan you choose, whether you want to write a real lean kind of startup business plan, that's just real quick, or whether you want to do a really serious traditional business plan that is many pages, the first thing you want to include is your executive summary. So that is a big part of the conversation we had earlier on in this MBA, Mastering the Business of Art. Why does your business exist? What is your business? Why is it going to be successful? That, that mission statement, that vision statement, um, you know, those are the things that need to be included in this section. You want to know what the philosophy of the business is, why it exists, and how it's going to bring value to the market. Um, you also can include things like your, um, your, your company's leadership strategy. So how you're going to run the ship moving forward. You can include things like who your employees are, et cetera. If you're going to be starting off that way, you can do that. Um, 
for me. I didn't need that as a sole proprietor. I didn't need to worry about that at all, but you can get as detailed in this section as you want. But the most important part here is your mission statement, your product or your service, and any basic information you need to include. So that's kind of the important part of the executive summary. And Nicole? since we have- Oh, I'm, I didn't mean to jump in there. I thought you were summing up, I'm sorry. No, no, please. So I think, you know, the executive summary for me, the way that I've always explained it has been, it's, it's your Kickstarter idea, right? So there's a huge difference between having a good idea for a business and a business plan. And what I find is a lot of people get stuck in this good idea phase of, you know, hey, I'm going to raise money for this, or I'm going to start my company, and it's going to be amazing, and we're going to make candles for orphans, and it's going to be just the most magical thing ever. Well, all those good ideas are great, but they're not starting to head towards a concrete application. And that's where the executive summary for me really starts to make the rubber meet the road, right? That's really where you take this good idea and you start formalizing it. And I'm throwing air quotes around formalize, but you really start to use that idea, not just as an idea, but as the basis and the foundation for everything else that's gonna come later. And a lot of people never get past that first gate of having the good idea. And so just going through this process of writing an executive summary really does help you formalize not only what that idea is, but it lays the foundation for everything else that's going to come um, down the line, whether it's two months or three years from now. So I love that portion of the business plan. Yeah, I think it's my favorite as well. And I love that explanation. It's it's like your Kickstarter. That's a really good uh that's a really good way to describe it because I think it, it'll make people feel like that's something that they can really get their hands on. You, you really do want to use this section to say, like, here's the idea. Here's why it's great. Here's how it's going to add value. Here's what we're going to do. And you need to know those things because when you get into some of the next sections, you're going to be fleshing that stuff out. So again, really just encourage folks to go to the, uh, the Small Business Association and, and check out the examples that they have there so you can see this stuff in motion. So the next thing that you're going to include after the executive summary is the company description. And so this is basically going to be explaining how your company functions. Um, who are you serving? How are you serving them? How are you going to be competing against other people in your market? What are the advantages that your business has? And this is kind of, you know, when we talked about what your value statement is, understanding how you are going to be serving the market and why that is a competitive edge against other companies that are going to be competing with you in that market space. That is a really important thing for you to know. Um, who is your customer? How is your business going to be organized? All of that good stuff. And as we as we spoke about the pillars of your business and these these different um, you know foundational aspects, all of that stuff is going to be included in your company description. So you really need to understand how you're going to organize this whole thing. And if you think your way through that, you can understand why this process, even if you don't really go back to your business plan very often, you can see why the process of explaining the structure of your business and the description of your business is important because you can start to visualize what that looks like in a real world sense and how that's going to be structured. And this is really kind of a, a big part of like drafting the blueprints of your business. So executive summary, company description, 
And then you want to move into market analysis. So this is one of those things that is really going to differ depending on what kind of person you are and how you approach. If you are somebody like me, forcing yourself to do a full market analysis is going to be like pulling teeth. (laughs) It's really hard um, to sit down and look at the other companies operating in your space and asking yourself what they do and how much do they make and what are some of the trends that are going on there and how can I do those things better and, um, you know, how can I compete in this space comparative to what they're doing? Like all of this stuff is the kind of thing that I, I run away from with my pants on fire. Um, but I, there are people who this is really going to like turn your lights on to understand what this space looks like in your area and how other people are doing their business and how you are going to have to compare to them if you want to be able to win in that space. So I'm interested, particularly with you, Kat, um, but also you, Becca, you seem to have a great find in Matt. I want to know from you guys, um, in this market analysis section, do you guys enjoy this kind of stuff? Is this something that you all um, did when forming your business plan? And do you have any advice for people? Because if, if folks are any, if they're like me at all, I'm like, e, I just want to do a good job. I don't want to look at other people because that's really boring. And <laughs> I don't want to. I so. do. I, I do, but not for the reason you might think. You know, when I started the business in startup, it's like, okay, I need all of the information and I need all of the comparison and I need to know what all of my competition is doing so I can do it better. And then, you know, you kind of get a year or two in and you're like, oh, why am I competing with this like super saturated sea of photographers? Okay, who's the most expensive? I want the top five, the most expensive people I can find in my area. And I was like, okay, what does their work look like? Oh, my work's not that good. Okay, that's really intriguing. That's really interesting. Okay, so I've got to get better because I only want to compete with a couple people. I don't want to compete with the 40 gajillion fucking photographers in Asheville, North Carolina. It's a destination city. Like, of course, there's a million of us and they all want to shoot weddings and they all want to shoot portraits and they all just want to have their shoulder strap camera holsters and go to town. Like, no. I don't want to play in that land. I want to play in the land that is the least amount of effort for the highest return. And once I figured out who those five photographers were, that's who I compete with. And I compete by sending work to them. But that's the only kind of comparison I want to look at. Because if I'm not playing nice with the people that, I consider competition for me, then I'm looking at them in a negative light, which does only, only all that brings to me is negativity. So I play nice in this field and I've actually, you know, gotten some really fantastic friends out of that mindset. Um, But that market analysis helped me to realize like, oh, I don't want to compete, compete. Like it's impossible to compete with that many people at once. But if you reframe and understand like, okay, I could do high volume and low dollar, totally valid, send out galleries, do all of that, totally fine. Not the business model I wanted because it's a lot of effort. The business model I ended up with is actually a lot of effort, um, but the return is much greater. And I would never have sort of discovered that without understanding what my systems and process would be 
and who my competition is and how I would bring my work to the front of that and be one of the best of the best in town. I love that cat. And I love looking at it from the perspective that you are instead of merely, and I say merely like it's not important. It is important for people it's important for, but not merely as a numbers game to find out, you know, how everybody is stacking up and how they're doing the kind of business they're doing. So um, I love looking at it from that perspective. And for folks like me, that's probably a lot better way to move forward than, you know, purely from a the number crunching point of view. Um, so I'm interested to hear, Matt, Becca, did you, either of you do any kind of market analysis? And if you did, how did that work for you? I feel like I'm this a is the kind of thing I want to. Well, I, well, I'm interested. Why is it that you want to flee from it? I don't like research that has to do with numbers. I don't know that I, I just, I think my teacher was right that I'm really frank. And if something's boring to me, then I don't want to do it. And I find it really unengaging. I don't know why. And maybe it's because my approach to it has always been wrong, which is why I'm asking you all these questions. Um, it, it could be my mindset around like why I just, I don't like it, but I just don't like it. I don't have a really good explanation. For That's interesting. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I'm in a constant state of market research because uh, I do find it really interesting because I'm interested in the market that I work in. I'm interested in the people that I work with. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely do put, you know, sometimes it is more intensive. Um, and a lot of that, you know, similar to what Kat said is, you know, defining where you really need to stand because not everybody is your target client. Not everybody is your competition. And if you can really, you know, dial in your own, you know, value proposition and what you do in a particular way, those feelings of competition almost seem to fall away where it isn't, you know, again, that sense of negativity and, you know, wanting to fight against everyone else in your industry or, you know, in your location, it's, you know, a way for you to define exactly what it is that makes you valuable within that smaller subset. Um, and again, you know, I love really looking deeply into who you're communicating with and who you're selling to. And that is a huge part of that market research is, you know, figuring out where these people are, what they're spending money on, who they're already spending money with, and how do you ingratiate yourself into that kind of circle in an authentic and valuable way for them? Um, so, I mean, it's, it's absolutely essential to create a functioning business. And uh, I, I find it constantly fascinating because it's always changing too. You know, there's going to be new people who pop up who are maybe in direct competition with you. There's going to be new opportunities for you to find new clients. So it's something to always be thinking. You know what I think, as I was listening to you talk, Becca, I realized um, what it is. It, it doesn't have anything to do with the, the people or the businesses involved. It's the idea of trends and spreadsheets and things um, to, to make those comparative analyses. Because if you're going to make an analysis, it's one thing to do research. It's another thing to make an analysis, right? And so I think in my head, it's this idea of you know, finding numbers and putting them into a spreadsheet and making comparisons and trying to analyze that information that it makes me want to turn around and flee. So not necessarily, it, for me, the, the thing that I, I want to run away from is not necessarily looking at other people's business or clientele or, you know, how people are running things, et cetera. It's not that part of it. And I think I kind of fall into some of that by, by happenstance. Um, 
it's the idea of the actual analysis itself <laughs> of the numbers and trends, et cetera, that, that I'm like, oh. So, I mean, is it a possibility then? Because um, I also don't keep a ton of spreadsheets on stuff because it just isn't how my own personal brain thinks. And I don't have a board of directors. I don't have employees to impress. I have myself. So any kind of research that I do, anything that I think about, I have to do it in a way that makes sense for me. So if there is just, you know, whether it's, just doing things in your head or finding a different way to can think of that analysis. Maybe it's writing it out without a single goddamn spreadsheet. I mean, if you can find a way to do that, that works for you. Cause that's the point. It needs to work for you. I think you could probably find some joy or at least some value, you know, in that kind of process too. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I always, I, I like to remind myself the fact that, Einstein wasn't like so super great at math. And so he needed people to do the math for him because he was great at visualizing complex ideas. And so maybe I have to kind of approach it from that perspective instead of thinking about it from, I think I'm still traumatized from math and school. <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, it's so boring. But um, yeah, I think, I think changing my mindset there will probably make a big difference in, in being able to do that kind of market analysis in a way that like I find value in it and doesn't make me want to flee. Um, totally. And I'll fight you a different day when we're not talking about business about why math is in, absolutely essential and in line with artistic thinking. But uh, no, no, I, that's not, that I, later. I, I, completely, I completely actually agree with you, Becca. Um, it's not that. So yeah, we'll have this discussion another time. It was the way that I was taught how to do math that I, that I resent now as an adult um, <clears throat> because they teach you to memorize formula and they don't actually explain to you what math is like, Hey, guess what? You're learning the language of the universe. No, they don't do that. Like that would have been an entirely different experience for me. I think as a kid learning to do math, except for it was like, no, did you memorize this thing? Um, yeah, but I don't know what it is or why to use it. Like, I don't understand why I need to know what this is. Um, yeah. So I, I do actually agree with you, but that's definitely a conversation for another day. But anyway, um, Matt, did you do market analysis for your business and how do you kind of approach that? So folks can have a really good idea of what do you do when you're actually. Yeah. And I'm this, this perfect mix of Kat and Becca where I'm, I'm hyper, hyper competitive. And I also love market research. I mean, the fact that people have to look at SEO now is like a God's gift to me. Like I love the whole SEO world, but I also want to see all of my photographer friends rise up and succeed. Right. So I want to, I want to be there and be able to celebrate their success. Doesn't mean I don't want to compete with them. Um, so yeah, I always do a little bit of market research more so not, not so much to be like, I want to do what they do. I want to understand how they're succeeding. I want to see if that could apply to me. Does it resonate with me at all? And are my clients their clients, which I think is a really important thing, right? Because I might see a newborn photographer or a family photographer crushing it, but I don't shoot newborns or families. So what are they doing that I could apply to my business? Is it something that I want to do? Does it fit my philosophy? Does it fit what, you know, I'm driving myself to do in this business? If so, great. Maybe I can use that and put my own spin on it. If not, I kind of cast it aside. So even though they might be a competitor as a photographer in my area, it doesn't mean that I'm competing directly with them. 
I love looking at successful businesses and figuring out how they did it and then figuring out, can I do one notch better than that? Can I tweak mine to achieve those same results and more? And so in that lies this constant state of research and analysis and SEO and business planning and observation and all of these things. I love it, but I also don't let it detract me from what I'm doing in my business because what they do really doesn't affect my business whatsoever unless they moved in right next door and opened a studio that did the same style of photography that I did. Nothing that anybody does affects my business. What I do affects my business. So I just try to take all these great ideas and utilize them in how I move forward. Does that make it a formal part of my business plan? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But I think just understanding what goes on out in the market, what people are responding to, what they're not responding to, and being able to use those influences in your own business is a good thing. So that's the way that I always approach Beautiful. I love that, which is why it's so great to have these varied folks be part of this conversation because y'all get to stand up in my weak spots <laughs> and uh, we get to kind of take over for each other when we've got uh, places that we're not as strong or things that we don't like as much or whatever it is. So I'm, I'm really glad to have everybody explain that option, especially in such a palatable way so that people can understand why doing market analysis is such an important part of having a business plan together. So the next thing that we're going to look at organization and management for many of us as sole proprietors, this is a very simple thing, but it's me black, like that's all. Um, but in this section, you also want to describe your legal structure. So you're going to, as we talked about before, you know, what is the legal entity? Are you a sole proprietor? Are you an LLC? What are you? So that needs to be in this section. And then if you are going to have employees or if you plan on having employees at some point and not contractors, then you're going to want to know where that organizational structure flows. So who is at the head of things? Who comes next? How do these people interact with one another? If that's going to be an important part for you, then you need to make sure that that's included in this organization and management section so that you do know um, at some point I want to open up another studio. I want to have these kinds of associates. Who's going to run that? Who's going to be in charge? How does this chain of command kind of work so that if something happens at this level, who responds and how does that flow? Um, and maybe this would be a really great thing to kind of to grab you on cat because, um, you know, having, having your associates and everything, how do you have to look at that management structure to make sure that everything is. Oh man, that's like two day conversation right there. Um, so I don't know, I've definitely gone back and forth with associates, um, and from the profitability standpoint, obviously, you know, the 1099 feels like the, the biggest way to make the most attractive offer that allows you to still garner the same amount of funds. Um, but I don't think that's true. And after two and a half years, three years now of having associates, I'm sort of leaning more toward the employee space 
and paying, you know, like a $25 hourly and having them, you know, manage the the sale and da 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 da, da and just be disconnected from the outcome of that sale. Um, and it's, it's a tough call because on one hand, you know, it's kind of like, man, how do I put this in a way that makes sense? Um, having employees increases your risk and your liability. So you have to look into the insurance aspect from, from the space of that liability and that risk uh, and what that means. Whereas for a contractor, it's way more hands-off, like they are their own entity. Um, they're just, ha- they just happen to be representing your business with their business. Um, but you can't be in control of their schedule. You can't be in control of much. Uh, and like they have to carry their own insurance and la, 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 la. So understanding what it is that you would want an associate to accomplish in a way that garners profit or maximizes profit, I should say, uh, and in a space that's brand aware, you know, like if you look at hair salons, you have the the full commission and then you have booth rent um, and both are valid models. Um, I think you find that most people coming out of hair school are going into those fully commissioned salons and the people, the, the professionals that have been at it and have a developed following and so on and so forth, they're looking more toward booth rent because it allows them more flexibility. They're in control of their own pricing. And that's another piece of the puzzle too. You know, when you have a contractor, you cannot dictate what they charge. An employee, you can. You can say, no, you have to stick to this model. This is how much it costs. It's, you know, the menu, think of it like a menu at a restaurant and like the steak is this much and all la carte is this much. Um, but with contractors, they could come in and charge 300 bucks if they wanted. Uh, so understanding what you want out of that relationship from a profitability space, from a risk space, and from a how, from a process space. Because anybody you bring into under the fold, whether they are employee or contractor, I would imagine you want them following a particular process or business model so as not to confuse your audience um, as to pricing and process. Uh, I'm sure that did nothing but confuse the the average person. Uh, and uh, my apologies, believe it on the <laughs> no, no, no worries at all. Um, I think it's important to recognize those things as we're thinking about, you know, how we're going to organize this for the future. And, and, and those are questions we have to ask ourselves if we are going to determine whether or not we eventually want to have associate photographers or if we want to employ photographers. And then so the other question I would ask, if you don't mind me pushing just a little bit, is when you look at the organization of these spaces, um, and and the kind of let's just call it chain of command. So who answers to who in these situations? How do you how do you figure out? I mean, obviously you're kind of you know up at the top there, but is there anything we need to keep in mind when we look at um, that kind of structure, that kind of management structure? I would say first and foremost, before you get into associates, um, really what you need is a studio manager or just a kick-ass assistant 
um, because you need someone to keep you in motion. And once they are adept at keeping you in motion, then you can bring on other people who will then answer to that person. Um, and at the end of the day, like you can sort of, my idea is not wanting to micromanage everyone else, um, which I'm not always great at, uh, as I'm sure my associates would tell you. Um, I want to be as hands off as possible. Uh, and, but I would need to have someone else in place to be that point of reference. Um, because at the end of the day, if, some, if you're bringing somebody on as an associate, it's because they don't have the confidence or the know-how to do things in a profitable way. So having access to you is one of the benefits of working for you. So you have to make yourself available to them. Um, but for the day in and day out processes, you would really want them answering to a studio manager um, who can then, you know, escort them through buying process. And this is your retoucher information. And, you know, this is blah, 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 blah. And here's, you know, you have to have a membership to SBE. So resort to refer to these videos, you know, and uh, kind of move through in that direction. But yeah, overall, like they have to have access to you. Right. Okay. That's really fantastic to know. And so it seems like a, a big question in, in this part of the section as well is asking yourself how much management you want to be doing and how involved you want to be in the kind of day-to-day -day management of the individuals. And if you find that you need to be functioning at a level that is at least one removed, then having someone like a studio manager that, that can run that part of the business would be a really important cause. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, perfect. That was exactly what I was hoping to know. All right. So the next thing we're going to talk about really quickly is the service or product line. So this is the conversation that we were having around what are we selling and what represents those sales? So are we going to be selling experiences? Are we selling ideas? Are we selling prints? Are we selling wall art? Are we selling etc etc we need to know what those services are we need to know how it's going to benefit the client and we want to know what that product life cycle looks like so where does it come from who are we working with to garner these products what does the process look like coming from them to me to the client how does all of that function and if you are going to be doing things like licensing or um you know, even sub-licensing, or if you're going to be doing anything along those lines, you need to know what that process looks like. So let's say I know I want to sell prints. I'm going to be working with Miller's Print Lab. Um, it takes this long for the prints to get to me to have a quality check. If I don't appreciate the quality, it takes this long for the process to happen again. It goes from me to white glove box, etc. I'm going to be delivering these in person. We're doing that in studio. Like, what does that look like? And then you also need to have a good idea of what those costs will be. And that's going to, we're going to talk about that when we get to the finance section, but what services or product lines are you going to be offering and how do those actually function within your business? So that is the question you want to ask yourself in this section. The next section, marketing and sales. So we have had some marketing discussions 
Um, that is what this section is for. We want to know how we're going to reach customers, how we're going to nurture customers, how we're going to pull them into our business and how we're going to treat them while we're here. So we want to basically ask ourselves, what does that customer journey look like? How are they first going to hear about us? Where are they going to hear about us? What kinds of things are we going to say to them when we've got them here with us? How are we going to treat them? And then what kind of referral programs are we going to use? How do we retain our customers? How do we sell to them? All of those things are going to go within this section. You can expand this out if you want to write like a really serious marketing plan. This is generally its own document. That marketing plan is generally its own document, but you can include that in, um, in your business plan as well. Particularly if you're going to be looking at investors, you want this section to be really robust so you can explain how you're going to be pulling people in and why these methods are gonna be successful. The funding request section of the business plan should only really exist if you know you're going to be looking for funding. So I'm not really going to go into that here. But if you do want to get investors, you're going to want to go look up this section of the business plan, really dive into this so you understand what needs to be included in order to get investors to consider your business. And then the final thing that we're going to talk about today is financial projections. So this is a conversation we're gonna have all on its own. This is coming up. We are gonna get deep into the discussion of finances because I think this is the area where most small business owners struggle. Um, and particularly when we're very first getting started, we have no idea what to do with finances. So this financial projections section, there are a few things that we can look at and include in this section. One of them um, can be a supplement to the funding request. So if we are looking for funding, this can kind of be uh, including an addenda to that. We're wanting to convince our potential investors why they should be investing in this company. Um, but we also want to provide an outlook. So we need to know, we need to play the numbers game, which we're going to do coming up this week. We need to know um, how much this business needs to earn, where that money goes, and how much we can potentially project in the future. So maybe we know in the first four months, we need to be making $60,000 a month in order to survive and thrive as a business. We need to have a good idea of those numbers. And as Kat mentioned earlier, this gives you a really fantastic chance to look back and make those comparisons and say, okay, I made this goal for myself in order to get you know, this much per month. I am not meeting those goals. What does that mean for me? That means I'm not gonna be able to pay or, or afford these things that my business has to have. I'm not gonna be able to you know, hire out my retouching. I'm not gonna be able to bring in an associate. I'm not gonna be able to, et cetera, et cetera. So how do I need to change these things in order to start meeting those goals? This is where your forecasted income, your balance sheets, cash, cash flow, um, all of those kinds of things, your projections, whether you're doing that monthly or quarterly or yearly, this is where all that information is going to go. We are going to be breaking this down. So if this sounds like a lot, I, I know this is just a summary, so don't stress. We're going to do this all. Um, but I wanted to make sure that we covered it before we close today so you know that that needs to be included in your business plan. And of course, remember, you have a traditional business plan, which is very involved. You can do a lean startup plan, which is, you know, obviously much smaller. The business plan does not have to be absolutely exhaustive if you don't need it to be. But these sections should all be included so that you can at least give yourself 
a summary, have that clarity, remind yourself that you're taking yourself seriously as you make this business. So just really quickly, I wanna name these sections that you need to include your, in your business plan one more time. The executive summary, which is where you talk about what your company is and what it's gonna do, what its mission statement is. The company description, so the more detailed information about who your customers are, how your business is going to be organized, um, who you're going to serve, what the advantages are for your company and your market, all that good stuff. Market analysis, where is your company going to stand in relation to other companies in your market? How are you going to compete? Organization and management, how is this sucker going to be run? Where is everybody going to stand in the relative chain of command and who is in charge of what the service or product line what are you offering who are you offering it to <coughs> excuse me oh had a sneeze marketing and sales how are you going to go about letting people know that your business exists and how are you going to treat those people how are you going to sell to them a funding request if you are looking for investors and then your financials so how you are going to pay to run this business, how much it needs to earn, and what the plans are for making that money. So I realize that this has been a relatively involved conversation today. I want to make sure we do have some time for questions, even though we are pushing the limits. Um, but we have to keep those questions really short and concise. So if you have a question this morning about just the overall overview of business plans, go ahead and raise your hand. Um, and remember, we're going to be doing deep dives into the financials later. So don't let that stress you out. But if you have a business plan question, go ahead and raise your hand now. And then I want to get some, uh, for some reason, my, my thing just doesn't want to refresh. I want to get some final thoughts about business plans and anything we think is important about that from. Say the things, guys. Be adaptable. Um, going into a business, whether you're seasoned or brand baby spanking new, um, you want to have a general understanding of where you want to go. Um, even if you don't know where that is or, you know, in finite detail, understanding what's exciting to you about it will give you more information than you think you already have. Uh, and when you put together a business plan, you learn different aspects about the ways in which you get to the space um, that maybe you didn't know before. Um, and some of those will be disheartening and others will be really exciting for you. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to be adaptable and understand that the how is all in those details, but that how is what's adaptable. Um, so it's really like you're driving the bus, but understanding the general direction you want to go and the different ways in which you want to leverage to get there um, are really, those are the winning pieces of your business plan. And that's what's going to allow you to, to be innovative in your business instead of just working in your business. Yeah, I'll echo a lot of what, what Kat said, and I apologize. I'm driving into the studio now. Um, but it can be overwhelming to think about actually writing the business plan as opposed to having that good idea like I was talking about earlier. It can be overwhelming. So just start writing stuff down. What do you want the business to look like? What do you want to, you know, what do you want to sell? How much money do you want to make? Like all the, all the really basic low-level stuff. 
And you'd be amazed, like Kat just mentioned, how much you're able to get from that. And as you start to formalize your plan, it becomes a much better outline to follow rather than feeling like you have to go section by section by section and try to rethink everything over and over. Just start with that big conceptual idea, start adding in all the pieces, and then you'll find where in that business plan they fit because you may run across things that fit more cleanly into a financial section or marketing section or even just a company description. So if you can just get the thoughts on paper, then start to formalize it. I think in the end, by going through that process, you'll have a a really clear roadmap of where you're going over the next couple of years. Go back. Damn, tag, I'm it. Um, Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, as so eloquently put by Kat and Matt already, as, I mean, it comes down to knowledge being power, right? And, you know, having that roadmap, having that foundation, having that knowledge is only going to help you more clearly conceptualize what it is you're doing and how you're doing it. And so I, I, I love that, that what Kat said about, you know, the ability to be innovative by having more of that information. I mean, even parts that aren't necessarily applicable to you, like, you know, having employees or, you know, having associates or whatever, if you know why, if you know why that doesn't fit, if you've thought about each of these pieces and know how they can benefit or detract from your business, I mean, it's only going to benefit you, right? Because then all that knowledge starts to become second nature. It starts to become intuitive and you can grow and be more confident in yourself, in your art and your business. So the more knowledge, the Kaboom. Nothing else needs to be said there. So we are going to talk about finances coming up next. Um, We've covered a lot of ground just in how we think about our businesses, how we can start to put together that information so that we know what our business is going to do and how it's going to do it. And then we start to kind of fall right into the financial section. So we're going to start talking about running our numbers we're going to talking we're sorry we're going to talk about things like our startup costs and how we figure out what we need to earn in order to live what our business needs to earn in order to thrive um, we're going to talk about how we can then take all of those numbers and break them down into what we need to earn each working day in order to earn what we need and then we will move on to things like the customer journey and pricing our uh, pricing our products Um, and marketing and things like that. So I hope you will join us as we get into the financial part of the discussion. That is going to be um, some deep water there. And numbers are not always the easiest to talk about when we are talking and not seeing visually what that, you know, those numbers might look like. So there will be an accompanying article that everybody can have a look at so they can see in real time what it may look like to do these kinds of projections for yourself. But I hope you'll be here for that because that's really, that's getting down. We've talked about the anatomy of the business and now we're getting down to talking about the blood, right? This is the lifeblood of your business. It can't survive without monies. So we need to have those conversations if we're going to build successful businesses that thrive in the new year or make adjustments to our businesses that exist now so that they continue to thrive and grow in the new year. I hope you will be here for those conversations Come and hang out with us bright and early tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. That is 6 for the West Coast, 9 a.m. for the East Coast. Late afternoon for our friends overseas 
in the meantime, have a fantastic day. Go make something amazing, and we'll see you in the morning. Thanks again for listening to this live Clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at the Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.